Shepherd. If you're new to our church, you're joining us online, uh, you're on your couch, you're in your dorm room, wherever you might be, we're so excited that you are joining us in this series. You've actually caught us almost smack dab in the midst of this series called Five Secrets for Growth. Now, how many of you know someone who's not good at keeping a secret? Uh, for me, if my son is watching, that's Max. Uh, Max, I uh, love you, buddy. Uh, you're not the greatest to give a secret to uh, because you get so excited. And Max will wear his emotions right on his sleeve and on his face, and you know he's carrying something. And usually if you prod him enough, you can pull that out of him. You can extract that information. But we all know people that aren't great at keeping Secrets, and the reality is, what we've been talking about in the scriptures, these aren't secrets. These are things that we know, uh, if you've been around a church for any length of time, that, that these are elements of the Christian faith to grow. They're not new, and they're certainly not secretive, but we kind of treat them as such. And so we started out with prayer, and then we moved into uh, scripture and worship with Alex over the last two weeks. If you missed any of those, you can jump on our website, catch up on those uh, messages. Alex did a phenomenal, phenomenal job the last two weeks walking us through the importance of the Word of God and to be in Scripture. And so please jump into that and catch up. This morning, we talk about the fourth secret, and that is confession. Uh, confession is the fourth secret on how do we grow. Now, before we really unpack this, and we're going to move quickly through a lot of different passages, but before we jump into this, I just want to make sure we're all standing on the same foundation, and that is this. When we confess our sin, God is good, all right? God is loving. He is gracious. Uh, the scriptures are clear. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't stay angry. His mercies are new every morning. It goes on and on and on. So I, I want that to be the starting point because for some, when we bring up the idea of confession, we begin to have our palms sweat and we, we start to shift in our seat because we don't like dealing with the muck that is in our lives, right? And so then we think, okay, if I bring that stuff before God, then that's gonna be even more difficult. Even this morning, I woke up and I started praying. I'm like, I'm preaching on confession. I've been practicing all week, so I started confessing. And in the midst of my confession, I said a bad word describing my sin. And then I went, all right, Lord, so now I like, pause on my confession. Now I got to confess the word I used to describe my sin in my confession. So forgive me of that. Okay, now we can catch up. Like, that's my world. And I don't know about you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know your sin. You say, well, uh, you're glad you don't want know my sin. I don't. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your struggles are. But I do know the Bible speaks very, very clearly about dealing with our sin. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're at home or in your dorm room or in your office, I'm going to ask you if you would, if you would stand. We're going to be reading Psalm 51. This is out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. It will not be on your screen, so you can just listen or you can follow along in the scriptures. But here's the psalm, Psalm chapter 51, starting at verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. 
purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Uh, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Verse 5, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there in the womb. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You have broken me and now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Uh, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal or a steadfast, maybe your version says, spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, please, Lord. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Notice what it says. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. They will turn to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord. Uh, thinking about Alex's sermon last week. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. So Lord, as we unpack this, as we look at our sin and we look at what the effects of sin is in our lives, would you meet us in that work? Give us the courage and the boldness to confront our sin this morning. We pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. That is uh, the word for us this morning. I want to ask you, did you at home, you here in the room, you in the great seats in the lobby, did you hear or see yourself in that psalm? As we read the words, does, does that resonate a little bit in your heart like, man, that could almost be me saying those words. In the late 1800s, Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard, some of you have heard of him, he said this, when you read God's word, you must constantly be saying to yourself, it is talking to me and about me. I've read this chapter hundreds of times this week, preparing. And every time I read it through this week, I've shifted from, wow, David, man, he was messed up when he went before Nathan. When he confessed, this is right after Bathsheba, like the man is just riddled with sin, the heaviness of sin. I'm like, man, that guy's got some issues. And then about halfway through the week, I'm like, that's me. That's me, like David is using my heart. He's putting it into the word, and then I use that as I come before God. And I would say, yes, we must learn to read the scriptures and follow Jesus as our Savior. But I would say to you, please, 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 my friends, never try to follow Jesus all by yourself. 
Never try and do it in seclusion and in isolation. Because this kind of pain, this, this kind of torment, this kind of honesty before the Lord is much better with some brothers and sisters around you. Amen? That, that's the reality. Let's make it a little bit more personal. Take COVID uh, throughout our community. Let's think about this for a moment. The isolation of COVID, this is not political at all, this is just stating facts. The isolation of what COVID has done to us has been devastating. And we will deal with the effects of this long term. Depression rates, this is just in the U.S., it's higher in some other places. Depression in the U.S. has tripled in one year. Tripled. Anxiety rates have tripled. Suicide is up 16% in the United States. The highest percentage is 19%, and that is folks 85 years and older. Isolation. Right now, as a teenager, teenagers are 10 times more likely to die of self-harm than COVID. But all the talk is COVID. And meanwhile, our kids, our teens, our adults, people in this room, people, some of you watching online, are dying right before our eyes of what's going inside. And a lot of that is because we weren't supposed to do this alone. We weren't supposed to worship alone. We weren't supposed to dive into the scriptures alone. We certainly weren't supposed to confront our sin alone. We need community around us. We need each other. The late Dutch priest Henry Nouwen, any of you read some of Nouwen's stuff? Uh, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, Phenomenal, phenomenal man, the late Dutch priest. He says this, the greatest work we can do is to give our lives to one another and to the world. Maybe that's what makes real community so irresistible. The, the sight of men and women giving of themselves to one another in love. When we think about our being given to each other, what comes immediately to mind are our unique talents. Those abilities to do special things especially well. However, when, we, when focusing on talents, we tend to forget that our real gift to one another is not so much what we can do, but who we are. The real question is not, what can we offer each other, but who can we be for each other? It's a shift in our mindset. And the scriptures parallel this. They they give us great direction. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and then pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When someone says, I'll pray for you, uh, so often in the church, we just go, eh, maybe they will, maybe they won't, and we just leave it at that. The Bible takes prayer so serious and the power that comes with it. 
Quick little commercial, you're invited. We meet here every morning at 9.15. Alicia Arnett leads us in prayer. We pray for prayer requests. We pray for each other. We pray for the church. We pray for the nation. And we pray you're invited to join us. Things happen when we pray. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from some of our sin. The Bible says that Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. The question becomes, are you forgiving you? Because it's, Jesus, he's got this down. This forgiveness thing, he's got that down. We're the ones that struggle with forgiveness, either to ourselves or to another person. It's interesting how God works whenever I'm preparing to preach a series, a book, uh, a topical series, whatever it is, is it becomes kind of my world. And and I feel like this is God's way of going, you're not just going to give information, you're going to feel it. Well, for me, I've spent the last two weeks apologizing. Over and over and over. To the point where my prayer time has been, Lord, do I just need to shut up? Do do I need to just stay in my office? Like, I keep messing up and I keep having to apologize, but it's been rich times of receiving then forgiveness. And we walk together then in the light. You see, when we speak of five secrets for growth, we often shortchange, not on purpose, but we will often shortchange our sin. When in reality, this book talks nonstop about sin the effects of sin, what it does to us. And when we remain silent with our sin before our Heavenly Father and with our brothers and sisters around us, we often cut ourselves up from an enormous arm of growth that God has waiting for us. Does that mean we're not saved? Does that mean God doesn't love us? Does that mean we're not going to heaven? No, 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 no. But it does mean you're missing out on a great aspect of the Christian faith. And what we've done in the Protestant world, in the realm of trying to run from uh, maybe Catholic tradition, is we've swung the pendulum way too far under the umbrella of, well, I confess sin, but it's just, that's between me and God. I don't need someone else. You're right. You don't need someone else to receive forgiveness. But the Bible says you need someone else to grow. The Bible says you need someone else to help you bring that which is in darkness into the light. Why? Because we don't have that ability to do it by ourselves. And there are effects of a lifestyle of keeping sin hidden, keeping it in darkness. Let me spell out what happens with sin. As as we talk about the importance of confession, and we're about to take the Lord's Supper this morning, as we approach that, I want to unpack what happens with unconfessed sin, either to God or with one another. Number one, unconfessed sin saturates our minds. Psalm chapter 51 verse 3 says this, For I know my transgressions. We talk about this a lot. You know your transgressions. You can fool everyone else. You can convince everyone else. You could deceive everyone else. But you know your sin. He goes on to say, and my sin is ever before me. Why? You carry your sin. 
Sin isn't something you can just leave in the office and then leave. You carry it with you. And so it begins to saturate our minds. You know this. Maybe you're not in a place right now of habitual sin, but chances are you've been there before. And you carry that with you. Number two, what does sin do? Sin hurts our conscience. On a regular basis, Psalm 51 verse 4, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our conscience won't lie to us. You can lie to someone else. You can pretend. You can put on the great face. You can smile. You can act like the great Christian family. But you know the depths of your heart. You know the darkness of your heart. You know your sin. And you see, all sin is more against God than it is against man. It's more against God than it is the person sitting next to you. But what did David do in this psalm? David didn't just keep it to himself and God. He could have. He could have uh, stood on the foundation of, I have a personal relationship with God. But he didn't. He didn't just confess it to God. He went to Nathan, the prophet, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, and he says this, I have sinned against the Lord. Did he have to do that? It's debatable, but he did. He went to Nathan and said, I have sinned against the Lord. He confessed it to someone else, not just to God. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that what? You may be healed. There is something powerful, there is something healing that takes place when we bring our sins certainly to the throne of God and receive his grace that is absolutely immeasurable. But there's something powerful and something healing when we bring our sins to a brother or to a sister. And we confess that and we pray together. Human speaking, not at all. Earthly speaking, not at all. But something in the vertical, the principalities, this, this connection we have with God, he uses the other to help us. And I would say to you, listen, through this series, uh, Five Secrets for Growth, if you want to grow in your faith with Jesus Christ, in fact, if you want to be stronger a year from now than you are today, then I would say emphatically, yes, you need to pray. You'll meet God in that prayer time. Please do that. Yes, you need to be reading the scriptures. Open the Bible. Know exactly the heart of God, the mind of God, the morals and the ethics and the worldview of God. Do that, absolutely. Cause that then to, to transition you to praise, as Alex unpacked it, to live a life of worship. That will make you, it will help you grow in your relationship with God. But I will say to you today, This is where it gets painful. This is where we go deeper. This is where we start to get really uncomfortable, is sharing our sin with another. Because if we are not doing that, we're missing a huge intimacy realm of our relationship with God. We're missing out on that. And I don't want you to miss out. It will be scary, it will be uncomfortable, 
it will be shameful at first, but you will find an intimacy. Now, you got to choose the right people. I'm not saying like, you know, just grab anybody in this room or, or someone at Safeway. Grab someone you already have that relationship with or you want that relationship with. You trust their faith and share. And certainly we need to do that, uh, you know, as, as we uh, sin against one another. If, if we hurt one another, we apologize to that person and we take ownership and, and we ask for forgiveness. We certainly do that. But it's also with God. Confessing our sins is in, in community is a way of taking the sin that's right now in darkness and bringing it into the light. And your sin has to be brought into the light. If you've never experienced that, if you've never experienced having your sin brought into the light, I want to encourage you this morning to give it a, ch- give it a shot. To, to at least think about doing it. To consider it. And we need others to be aware of what's going on in our hearts and our lives because of the warning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12. Why do we need to do this? This is why. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Be careful then. Anytime the scriptures tell you to be careful, you should probably be careful. Because there's a lot of times it doesn't, and you're like, I feel like that should have had a warning there. Like, get married. Be careful. Be careful who you choose and be careful getting married because stuff, right? But when it specifically does say be careful, we probably should be careful. And here's what it says. Be careful then, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. And then it goes on to say this. Guess what? You must warn each other every day. While it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God, you must warn each other. Where that comes is a sister goes to a sister and says, ah, man, I just want to say, like, be careful what you're about to do. I just don't know if that's the right call for you. Or a brother to go to a brother and go, man, I'm seeing these things in your life. I I just want to tell you, be careful. And what we have to do is, is, in the church, we have to protect what the world wants to get rid of. And the world will say to us, what I do with my time and my thoughts and my money and my possessions and my ideals and my morals is my business, not yours. The church says otherwise. The church says you must give and receive someone else speaking into your life. Why? Because you can't trust you. You can't trust you. I can't trust me. And when we embrace that, things begin to change. And why is this important? Uh, Again, Here's the next sin. Sin sickens our body. When we allow sin to come in, that does damage. When we allow sin to take up residency, it destroys our body. 
Psalm chapter 51, verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. How many of you have broken a bone? Raise your hand high and proud. Like, yeah, you got to own it. You already went through the pain, right? Abigail just broke her collarbone. Abigail, we're praying for you. Breaking bones is awful. It hurts. There's a lot of rehab. And, And the Bible talks about these broken bones because of our sin. But often we can go, no, I can deal with a limp. I can deal with that pain. I I can deal with that sin. I can live with that sin. This is direct opposite of what God wants us to do. David's sin, as we read in Psalm 51, it had begun to take a physical and mental toll on his body. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I want to make sure I'm super clear on this. I'm not saying if you have pain or you're hurting physically, then you have undealt with sin. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it could be. Are you with me? It's not a full course if-then statement. It's not the perfect formula. But the Bible does say that if there's sin that continually is kept in secret, it can damage your health. That's what the Bible says. Uh, I don't know if any of you listen to NPR. I like to listen to it. And the other day I heard a neuroscientist being interviewed on secrets. Go figure. Thank you, Lord. Dr. David Eagleman said this about his current research. He said, you have competing populations in your brain. One part that wants to tell something and one that doesn't. Now, as Christ followers, we go, well, that makes perfect sense. Like, you know. Uh, the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, right? That, that sort of idea. So we know this. There is a very real theological and psychological battle that goes on in the brain. But we're going to deviate just for a moment from the scriptures to help the scriptures come even more alive. Because here's what he unpacked in his studies. By keeping certain behaviors secret, especially those behaviors that are seen and know, known as being wrong, means a continual struggle with yourself. In other words, if we justify our actions, if we give reason to it, we might be able to verbalize that, but inside we still have this struggle, this internal discord and lack of personal integrity. It's draining. When you have lack of personal integrity, it is exhausting to carry that around with you. In fact, one of the greatest gifts we have in the Christian faith is to confess our sin before God. Because he's just and faithful to forgive you. That meaning you don't have to carry that anymore. So it's, it's, it's looking at it a little bit differently. And you know this. Think of your struggle, your sin, your secret. Maybe not present because I'm in a room of saints. But you sinners online, uh, you know, try to wrap your mind around a time when you just carried sin with you. You didn't deal with it. You didn't bring it into the light. You kept it in the darkness on purpose. Let's just acknowledge we've all done that. And it's exhausting. It affects everything around you. And this means, according to this study, that your brain will register the fact that there are increased levels of stress hormones going through your bloodstream on a regular basis in the struggle to keep your secret a secret. 
your body has to work harder. And your brain, newsflash, doesn't enjoy this stress. Your body doesn't enjoy this stress. Your wife doesn't enjoy this stress. Uh, your best friend, your coworkers, no one enjoys it. If you're carrying around undealt with, sin, un- undealt with sin, no one enjoys being around you. Why? Because you're carrying a load. And God's sitting there going, I- I- I'll gladly take that, but you chose to go to work with it today, so we'll try again tomorrow. Hey, I'll gladly take that, but mm, you brought that into your marriage, huh? See how that works for you. I'll take that. We'll, we'll try again later if you just give me a chance. And those living with dueling lives live the stress of, of keeping a whole area of their life secret from the other people that they dearly care about. You know what would help with this? Is if we could get to the point in the church and in our relationships, in our marriages, that we can look at one another and go, hey, are you a sinner? Yeah. Oh, so am I. It's good to know I'm in good company. But we don't. We act as if we're just the saints. We act like it's the sinners we're talking about, those people and not us. But if we would, then conversation would flow a whole lot more easily. Confession would happen a whole lot more easily with one another and with God. Eagleman continues, he says this, the fact that their brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping the secret over and above the effects of the wrongdoing themselves can cause an impairment in the person's ability to stay healthy and function well. So, in other words, the wrongdoing will then take a back seat to you carrying the wrongdoing. And yet we sign up every day to do it. Every day, we bury our sin, we compartmentalize, we, we justify, we pretend, and then we carry it with us. And, and, the, and the science says, that's not good for you. We're not even talking about Christ here. Just science says that's not good for you. And I love this. And I, and I had to work really, really hard. If you want to nerd out on this, I'm going to do a little video this week. I'm going to nerd out a little bit more, but I had to trim my sermon way down because I'm fascinated with this. Why? Because it shows that science is catching up to the Bible. (laughs) The Bible has said all of this. This isn't earth-shattering news. This isn't something brand new. The Bible's been saying this from the beginning, and science is starting to go, wow, man, you live two different lives. You have unconfessed sin. You carry that muck around with you. That's not good for your health. That's not good for your soul. That's not good for your mind. And as Christians, we should be going, yes! (laughs) Yes, we agree with you. And in case that wasn't sufficient for you, there was a massive study completed by James Pennenbaker, at the University of Texas in Austin. He used blood tests. I'm serious, I'm nerding like crazy this week. He used blood tests and EEG measurements to measure what physically happens to people who have confessed. And he did it in two specific ways. He did it with those who confessed audibly. I confess to Dan, I say it out loud. And he measured uh, the written form. I write it down and eventually then I take that written form and I bring it to Grant. He measured both of those. 
And here's what he found. Pennebaker found that whether secrets were confessed to another person out loud or merely just written down in private and then shared later, that there were tangible health benefits, both physical and mental. We're not even talking sin. We're just talking secrets. And the research found that it not only improved relationships in regards to the depth and the intimacy, but it caused better sleep and improved the immune system. This this is like a Christian TED Talk. (laughs) This This is amazing. You have science saying don't live a two faced life. Bring your sin, bring your secrets into the light. Don't hold on to these secrets. Don't stay in the darkness. Come into the light because confession brings deeper relationships and a better feeling of the human body. This is essentially the science world shouting, the Bible is right. This is great stuff. This is this is life-changing stuff. This is countercultural stuff. To be able to go to prayer and know that you're growing, to be able to open the scriptures and know that you are growing, to, to come before God in worship, not limited to our hour here on a Sunday morning, but as you take a walk, as you drive the car, as you're doing dishes, as you're getting ready for bed, to bring your worship before the God, that grows you, and it grows you to take your sin and bring it before God and to bring it before another brother or sister. And yes, it helps our soul, but it helps our bodies. So here's my appeal to you. If you can feel yourself in Psalm 51, if you have this gnawing in your gut, if you're having difficulty sleeping at night, you just feel exhausted and anxious all the time because of sin, I just want to beg you right now, stop. Not stop the sin, just physically stop where you are. If you're in this room, just stop. Stop your, don't stop your heart, but but stop your thinking. Stop, Stop your movement. Just stop right here, right now. Just for a moment. And think, I've got to tell someone. I gotta take the leap. I, I gotta do what's gonna be really, really scary, and I gotta bring someone in to the secret that I carry or have carried. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's an eating disorder. Maybe you're cutting. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe it's, it's a critical heart where just no one can do anything right. Maybe you're practicing unethical uh, financial behaviors. I don't know what it is, but, but I know in this room and for a lot of you online, who knows what could be there. Maybe you're taking the, the flirting with a coworker too far and it's turned into an affair. Maybe it's the condition of your heart. But I want you to know the only way to kill darkness is to grab it and drag it into the light. 
And if that sounds a little aggressive, if that sounds a little confrontational, it ought to be. Because our sin, your sin, was dragged and placed on the cross. There was no kicking and screaming. There was no justifying or defending. It was the lamb silent before its shears. And Jesus did it. You can certainly do it. You have the boldness because Jesus had the boldness. You have the courage because Jesus had courage. And why is this important to do it? Because, uh, again, sin muddies our spirit. Three young boys, my boys are always filthy. Like, we need a, a, a power washer just for kids. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a clean heart. The connotation is my heart's dirty. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Our hearts need cleaned. They're dirty and filthy and dusty and muddied. They need cleaned, and they need cleaned on a regular basis. And it feels great to be clean. If you've ever been on a mission trip for a couple weeks and you come home, you're willing to give thousands of dollars for a hot shower. It feels amazing. Are you, are you with me, Miranda? I mean, you'll give great money to get clean. The same thing with the heart. The, the scriptures teach us the importance of community in dealing with our sin. And confession of sin in the presence of others is applying and celebrating the gospel story. So when you confess, you're celebrating the gospel story and you're applying it. It's not just something that we say we believe in or that Alex leads us in a song that we talk about. No, you're practicing the gospel when we confess sin, not merely in secrecy, but together. And John captures this beautifully. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says this, My little children, <laughs> I don't know when the last time you got called a child, but my little children, I write these things to you why? So that you may not sin. That's why I'm writing these things to you. Because my heart's ambition is that you're not going to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the appropriation for our sins. And not only ours only, but also for the sins of the world. We don't give God enough credit that he can deal with your stuff. He's not phased by it. How many of you, and don't, don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but you're a little embarrassed to come before God because you have to confess that, you have to confess that same sin again? And you said, okay, this is the last time, God. I'll, I'll, I'll bring other sins, but I'm never bringing this one anymore. This one's done. And then like an hour later, we're like knocking. Hey, I'm back. We, we give God a, a short change in his ability to deal with sin. One of my heroes, Lutheran pastor, theologian, and anti-Nazi dissident Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that God gives us certainty when we are dealing with the living God through our brother. 
In other words, we allow ourselves, it's not limited to feeding the homeless. It's certainly not limited to uh, going down to Juarez, Mexico, or going to Africa and, and serving on the mission field. We're, we're God's hands and feet in those situations, but we're also our hands and feet when someone comes to you and says, I just need to get sin off my chest. I, will you listen? Are you safe? Can I share? We are dealing with the living God through our brother and sister. And we could keep going verse after verse, book after book, story after story, but here's the truth. I try to condense my thoughts into a, a, a couple of sentences. When we bring our sins before another Christ follower, they become tangible and their filth cannot be hidden. Confession, whether done behind closed doors in prayer or brought into the presence of a caring Christian, is a virtuous, noble behavior. It honors Christ and his sacrifice. In other words, it's less about you and it's all about him. And isn't that our goal? That when we function in this area of Christ follower, that it's really all about him. It's not about us. The reality is it's really not about your sin. It's about his forgiveness. It's not about your secret. It's about his grace, his gentleness, his kindness, his hope, his strength for you. In the midst of whatever you're going through, in the midst of whatever we see on TV, he cares for you. Now, what we're not talking about is woe is me. That's not what we're talking about. God isn't calling us to a perpetual state of self-condemnation or self-deprecation where we just constantly moan, I can never be good enough. Save it. God, first of all, God already knows you can't be good enough. So you don't even have to say it. Number two, it's not what he's after. He's after a broken spirit, the scriptures say. And that he will not deny one with a broken spirit. Ongoing confession doesn't mean that we deny the activity and the gifts of God in our lives. We continue to celebrate what he has done. We'll do that on Easter. Guess what? We didn't get to do that on Easter last year together. This year we will. Amen. We will have Palm Sunday. We will have Good Friday. We, uh, this is good stuff. Easter is coming. We will do that. Ongoing confession of sin is simply walking in the light. But we weren't meant to walk alone. We just weren't. It's about walking in the light, about admitting where we've gone astray from God's will and desiring to be open about that. Forsaking sin and growing in our own godliness. And it's hard. I'll leave you with two last verses. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that then leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief 
produces death. God's not after you to be sorry. He's not out for you to be sad. He's out to capture your heart in a way that is in parallel, perfect line and step with his cross. And we end with 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're about to approach the table and as Alex leads us in that, I want to encourage you. Here's your homework. You're at home, you, you have some juice, um, found some crackers. We have, we have elements, Mimi and I are gonna pass those out to you all. We have gluten-free as well. Um, here's my ask. Will you have the courage and the boldness to make an appointment with someone this week? Grab a cup of coffee and confess sin. I wish the homework were more fun. I wish I were saying, you know, sometime today, like, go get ice cream. We want to grow. It's, it's not just going to be easy. I want to invite you to, to wrestle with this during communion. Do you want to grow so much that you're willing to take that which maybe has been in darkness, been in secret for years, decades even, and trust a brother or sister enough to, to bring that into the light, to, to actually deal with it? I'm going to ask as, as we take communion that you just... Give it a thought. Consider it. And if you want to even be more bold and say, I'm not even going to delay. This is so important. I'm going, to, I'm going to text someone during communion and say, can we grab coffee this week? And I promise you that God will meet you in that moment. And you will grow right before your eyes. So let's pray together and, and let's see what God has to speak to us as we partake in communion. God, we love you. We thank you for the scriptures. So, uh, so firm in its guidance, so, so strong in its truth, so pointed in the directive to confront sin in an age where the church tends to minimize it, not even talk about it, we bring it into the light. And we will confront sin. We will continue to grow. So please be with us in that. We pray.